Hey everybody, you're listening to the Clearer Thinking Podcast from Grace Valley Church in Dundas. I'm your host, Paul Vandenbrink, the lead pastor of Grace Valley Church. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, I want to start by thanking all of you for your concern about my family during quarantine. Just so you know, my son does feel pretty good. He has no major symptoms other than a stuffy nose, loss of smell, can't taste real well either. Um, The rest of us are symptom-free at this point, so that's good news for us. I want to thank you for all the texts and the emails of encouragement that we've received and for those little care packages that some of you have been dropping off. That's pretty awesome. And of course, there's been offers of support and offers to shop for us and that kind of thing. Really, really appreciate it. Please pray for our sanity, uh, for our family. You know, we got to go another week and a half of this in quarantine before we're free. Already feeling a little bit crazy, stir crazy, as they say. But I'm not complaining. I just keep reminding myself, you know what? Anne Frank spent two years, a total of 761 days in an attic in Amsterdam with seven other people during World War II and never came out. So I got to keep some perspective, right? Right. Okay. Today, what I want to do is spend some time on the subject, why we need the devil. Now, I mentioned this on Sunday while preaching on the temptation of Jesus. I'm trying hard, by the way, uh, to keep these podcasts to a reasonable length. So this is not going to be an exhaustive treatment of the subject of the devil. Rather, what I'm going to do is I'm going to limit myself to the question of or the issue of why we need the devil. And it might sound kind of strange to put it that way. But my thesis is this. Here it comes, people. Modern society has gotten rid of the concept of supernatural evil to its own detriment. In other words, there are negative consequences to our culture's rejection of the idea that there is a supernatural personal intelligence behind the evil that we see in the world around us. Now, before I start down my little logical argument here, I should let you know, I have been influenced a lot by two people in specific uh, in in my understanding on the devil and how he works. And it's going to come as no surprise to most of you, I'm sure. Those two people are C.S. Lewis and Tim Keller. And I don't mean so much theologically, doctrinally. I mean in terms of understanding the importance of having a robust understanding of how the devil works to attack God's people. They have been indispensable in my thinking on this issue. And I I admit, I haven't thought a ton on this issue beyond what I've learned from them. But what I've learned from them is very significant. It is not just Western culture at large that doesn't think much of the devil. Uh, Sometimes Western Christians don't think much of the devil either. And that makes us susceptible to the devil's schemes to destroy us. You know, the Apostle Peter says that the devil is like a roaring lion prowling around, seeking whom he may devour. He is one dangerous character who is out to ruin you. 
And if we don't remember that, we make ourselves vulnerable to attack. You know, other parts of the world and other cultures are much more aware of the spiritual realm generally and of the existence of the devil specifically than we are. It is a weakness of our Western culture for sure. And we don't want to be naive, do we? I mean, the last thing us educated people want to be is naive, right? So I want to point you to two resources that will help you become more sophisticated, more knowledgeable, more wise in your understanding of the devil and how he works. And the first one is a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. Many of you probably have heard of it or at least heard of the title somewhere. It was written as a series of letters from Screwtape, a fictional senior demon in Satan's army, to his nephew Wormwood, who is also a fictional demon in Satan's army, who is tasked with tempting one particular human during the World War II era. And it gives tremendous insight into the subtleties of the devil's schemes. And it really helps you understand the dynamics of the human heart and how the devil finds our vulnerabilities in the human heart and tries to exploit them. John White, uh, he was a Christian counselor. And in a great book of his called The Fight, he uses this analogy. He says, if you open up a piano and you sing a note, the piano string or wire that corresponds to that note will start to vibrate. And he says, that's how the devil works. He finds your string and he aggravates what's in you through lies. He stimulates talk that goes on in your heart. That, that talk is already there, but he sings to it. Isn't that good? I find that an incredibly helpful analogy for understanding temptation and the way the devil seeks to undermine us in our walk with Christ. Now, Lewis is masterful at showing how the devil does this, how the devil sings to our hearts. So I really commend that book to you. And um, by the way, um, that analogy uh, from John White's book, it actually uh, comes up in the second resource I want to uh, recommend to you. Uh, a number of years ago, I heard a sermon by Tim Keller called Spiritual Warfare. And I just thought it was a phenomenal sermon, an incredible summary of a kind of theology of the devil. And it is so good that I, I dug it up. I, I went looking for it and I found it. And it's actually on YouTube. And I used a lot of it for this podcast, but there is a lot in there that I won't talk about uh, today. So I'm going to have Kate posted on the Facebook page, and I encourage you to listen to it and maybe listen to it multiple times. I'm not kidding. Take notes on it. Memorize parts of it. There are so many principles in there. I can only scratch the surface of what's in there in this short little talk. So to the thesis. Modern society has gotten rid of the concept of a super, supernatural evil to its own detriment. Um, it's no secret that our culture laughs at the idea of the devil, right? Lucifer, Satan. Um, you can buy devil costumes for Halloween and wear them, you know, 
red tights and a horn and a pitchfork. You can apparently you can even buy them for your children, even your little babies, and dress them up as the devil. Oh, look at that cute little devil! Ha ha ha. There's a TV show out. I don't know if it's still out now, but it came out a, a, a few years ago. It's called Lucifer, and the premise is this: the devil gets bored of hell. And so he kind of resigns his position there and he moves to L.A. And he hooks up with an L.A. detective to solve crimes. I've never watched it, but obviously the idea that the devil would reform his ways just shows how flippantly we regard the devil in today's society. But there are consequences for doing that. And those consequences are serious. See, what happens is when we reduce the devil or reject his existence outright, we become reductionistic about what's wrong with the world and ourselves. Think of it this way. Modern culture basically says that everything has a natural cause and scientific explanation. So there is only the natural world around us, the world that we can see with our eyes and touch and taste and smell, etc. We can experience through our senses. There is no supernatural realm. And therefore, all that happens in this world has a cause that can be found in this world. So you look around the world and you see flesh and blood forms of evil, as Keller calls them. Cruelty, violence, greed, strife, racism, poverty, uh, human trafficking, genocide. The list goes on and on and on and on. And you necessarily must conclude, if you're a naturalist, you must conclude that those problems you see must have a natural flesh and blood cause. Now, Keller, in that sermon, Spiritual Warfare, he quotes a secular scholar named Andrew Del Banco, who goes so far as to say that we have actually completely jettisoned the idea of cosmic evil. We don't like the word evil at all. And so we use medical language to describe it instead to avoid the use of moral language like good and evil. We use words like dysfunction or pathology. But here's the thing. If the problems of this world are only attributable to natural causes in this world, then the solutions to the problems of this world must necessarily be found in this world as well. Del Banco says what happens is you necessarily have a reductionistic view, not just of evil and how pervasive and how intractable it is, but you have a reductionistic view of the solution to evil as well. He says you will reduce the cause and the solution to things like, and and he has three major ones. One is biology. Um, Evil is part of our evolutionary makeup. Um, You know, aggression, survival of the fittest. These are evolutionary instincts that drive us. So genetics essentially is what makes a sociopath, sociopathic killer like Ted Bundy. And so the solution, of course, then, is evolving beyond the present state. Or, he says, we reduce evil to the psychological. They're caused by repressed emotions or childhood trauma. 
And the answer then is therapy. Through counseling, you learn to express your emotions in a healthy way. You learn to heal the inner child and you're able to move on from those things. Or he says it's sociological. The problem you'll say is unfair and oppressive economic or political systems. And the solution is to change the system, make it more fair, make it more equitable, or you need to change society's attitude. You need to overcome prejudices, most likely through education. One er you know, very obvious illustration of this right now is the political polarization happening in the United States. Now, I am generalizing here, and I'm simplifying in order to make a point. So please don't text me or email me saying that I'm being simplistic and all that. I know it is more complicated than what I'm saying, but that doesn't mean that what I'm saying is not part of the problem. What you have right now is you have liberals and conservatives, Democrats and Republicans alike demonizing each other right now. Not just saying they disagree with each other, not just saying you're wrong. They're calling each other the enemy. Now, why? There's lots of factors, but certainly they're saying that, that they, the other, they are the problem with everything that's going on in America. They and the institutions that they represent, they are responsible for these problems. So... For liberals, it's those awful capitalists and the 1% and the privileged old white men. And for the conservatives, it's the universities and the educated elites and the leftist media. Well, I can tell you, friends, there may be a grain of truth in all of that, maybe even more than a grain of truth, but this is a naive and reductionistic view of the problems of the world. Don't get me wrong, there are definitely biological components to evil. I, I, don't, I don't know so much about the evolutionary side of things, but certainly there is a lot of evidence that a person's chemistry can affect them seriously enough to effect, to lead them toward uh, evil behavior. And of course, there are psychological factors as well, you know, in case somebody misunderstands, I want you to be very I want to be very very clear. I am a huge proponent of therapy and counseling. Some people have major major scars from their pasts. Things that happened to them that still affect them today, and those things can be effectively addressed through talk therapy. I mean, I've done it myself. I've had counseling myself and found it very fruitful. And yes, there are psychological elements to evil too. There can be systemic, societal contributors to evil that need to be named and defeated. But what I'm saying is that those things in and of themselves, even all taken together, in and of themselves, they are not enough. You see, the diagnosis isn't deep enough. And so the remedy won't be deep enough either. And deep down, we know this. There was a Newsweek article reviewing Del Banco's book, and this is what it said. Although evil remains an inescapable experience for us all, 
we have no language for connecting our inner lives with the horrors that pass before our eyes. Faced with serial killers, maniacal despots, and ruthless genocide, we first look for psychological, sociological, or even genetic explanations. But even though Hitler may have been a sociopath, the tepid terminology of the social sciences cannot capture, much less explain, the depth of the horrors perpetrated by the Nazis. Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, their names bespeak an inhuman appetite for evil that sends the secular imagination reaching for old religious metaphors. And then it quotes Del Banco, quote, we feel something that our culture no longer gives us the vocabulary to express, end quote. There's something more to evil than biology or psychology or sociology. Those are part of it for sure. But there's a spiritual component too, or to use different language, a moral component in us. And there's also a demonic component and we will never defeat the evil in our own hearts or the evil in the world if we don't acknowledge that. We won't. Because the devil will continue to play us like the piano string. He'll sing the tune we want to hear, both individually in your own hearts, he'll sing the tune to you, but then he'll sing tunes to our culture as well, to our society. And we will continue to be defeated. So, what should we do? Well, <laughs> I'm out of time. So, if you want to know what to do, I encourage you, go to Keller's sermon, Spiritual Warfare. You can find it on YouTube. Listen to it. But I will just say this. Don't fret. Okay? Don't despair. Don't think, oh no, all is lost because it's not, not by a long shot. Yeah, the devil's smart. He's strong. He's dangerous. But Jesus is smarter. He's stronger. He's dangerouser. And he already won the battle for us. Listen to Paul from Col Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to, cr to the cross. And then verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the devil, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Friends, hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ and know that you will face the temptations of the devil and he will seek to undermine you. But if you hold on to him, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, after, what does he say in Ephesians 6? He says something like, after having done battle. Let me find it for you quickly before I mess it up. Ephesians 6. He says this. Listen carefully to 
to these encouraging words of Paul in that great passage on the armor of God, beginning at verse 10. He says this, Stand firm, okay? And pray in the Spirit. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, to stand. In Christ, you can stand. You will stand. That is certain. So do not be afraid. Well, my friends, that's it for this week. Till next time, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Stay safe, of course. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Keep looking up. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.